Hey, I'm Adam. I am the mission mobilization pastor here. Uh, I think I'm about three months in, and so I'm still here, so thank you for that. Um, Dave is upstairs today in the venue, and I get the privilege and the honor to, to be with you guys today, and, and I really do count it as that. This is, uh, this is really cool for me to even look around the room and to see so many faces that have invested in me, um, that have been along the side of me, that have encouraged me, who have disciplined me, um, so thank you for all of that. But today, we are going to be in Ephesians 2, and I will say we're going to be all over the place as well. And so if you're a note taker, I apologize. Uh, we are in the series called Foundations, and so we're walking through some really key doctrine to our faith. And so today, we are going to talk about the most dangerous sermon that you can possibly hear. In fact, 43 million people have given up their lives because of this message. And right now, 200 million people face really, really hard circumstances because of the content of this message. To go even further, you could hear this today, and it could bring conflict to your life as well. To receive this message and to believe this content will come at a great, great cost. It's truly the most debated, most unpopular, and most hated message the world has to offer today. And so what is it? And why are we preaching on it, right? Why would we invite this? Well, we know today's message is on salvation and three reasons we have to preach this. We have to teach this. We have to be about this. The, the first one is because it's the truth. You believe that? This is the truth. Number two, because it's the only way to God. There's no other way. We sang about that in our first song. This is the only way to salvation. And number three, the message itself is addressed to you. It's to you. To everyone in this room, this message is addressed personally to you. And so we have to preach it. It is the truth, and it's addressed to you. And so we can't shy away from the things that can happen because of the outside circumstances of it. We have to be about it. And so what is salvation? That is the question for today, and how can we answer this? Well, in its simplest form, salvation is the answer to last week's sermon on sin. It's what we call the gospel, or the good news. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen to that, uh, get our app, watch it online. Uh, last week, we talked about that it's bad news to be in sin, to have your identity under sin. And so if you remember the illustration Dave used, it's like a canyon that you're going to try to jump across. It doesn't matter how good of a jumper you are. Sin is that separation between you and God. And so you can run as fast as you can and leap with all the effort that you have. But 100 out of 100 times, you will fall short. And the repercussions of you falling is not good. It's death. And that's what the Bible teaches about sin. It's like an incurable disease to which you're always in quarantine away from God. And we understand that imagery today because we've been in this season of, of viral diseases. And so what would it look like for you to have an incurable disease that separates you from God forever and ever and ever? Well, that is what sin is. And so sin leaves us separated not only from God, but also it leaves us without hope. It leaves us without joy, 
And here's the last thing. It keeps us away from his purposes. And so I hope that you hear today that we're not talking about a salvation that just saves you from something, but God has originally designed you on purpose for something, and and sin separates you from that, but salvation brings you back into that. This is the good news. And remember that that hinge verse in, in Ephesians where it says, but God moves and he acts and he, out of his love, grants us mercy. So that's why we got to remember that it's dangerous as well. Just as much as this is going to be good news, we know that there's two things that are going to fight against you today. And here's what me and others were praying this morning over this room, that, that this would not be an obstacle. The first thing is your flesh, you yourself, your habits, your way of life, your choices, your preferences, whoever you are. That's going to be at war against what God is going to present as salvation. The second thing is, is there's a spiritual enemy that will war against you as well. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And even now, he is at work in your heart. And and in fact, it's almost like right now, there is a stirring of the Holy Spirit that's going to be talking to you because the other thing is, is that God wants you to receive this and to know this and to, to, to live in this. And so he's gonna be speaking to you as well we call that the affectional call. Like Holy Spirit is, is talking to you and, and trying to communicate to you, but all the while your flesh and the enemy are going to be talking to you as well. And so you have to discern which one it is. And here's some easy ways to discern if the, the flesh or the enemy is talking to you. If you're feeling shame, if you're feeling guilt, if you're feeling pride, if you're feeling arrogance, if you're feeling weightiness, That's going to be the enemy. And in fact, you can recognize some of these these voices that say, that's not what you deserve. It's not something you can attain. Or, I'm good enough. Like, I'm okay. Like, I'm I'm providing for myself well enough. Yeah, I've I've had some some mix-ups along the way, but, but I'm fine. Like, I'm a good person. If you're hearing that, that's pride. That's your flesh. If you're hearing another voice that's saying, you're not good enough, that's the enemy, and he's shaming you and he's guilting you. The Holy Spirit does not do that. In fact, you can recognize his voice by saying this, stop running. Stop fronting. Stop giving your life away to things that are worthless and fix your eyes on Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit always directs your attention to Jesus' work on the cross to Jesus' salvation through grace. It's always going to direct your attention to the work and the person of Jesus. And that's the Holy Spirit. And so today, I want you to just think about that as we define what salvation is. If the stirring of your heart is moving you more towards Christ for salvation, you know that your response today is to believe it, to receive it. If your response today is more hardening of hearts and saying, ah, that ain't for me, that's that's not necessary, notice what you're doing. You're rejecting the Spirit's voice in your life, and you're going back to pride or your flesh or the enemy. And a great illustration of this is like concrete that's being mixed, right? We all know that we see those big trucks that go by. In fact, my son loves trucks right now, and he's identifying the different trucks. And so when he sees a concrete truck, it's kind of foreign to him. I say, what is that? Well, it's a concrete truck. It's moving it 
to, to a place so that it can be a foundation, it can be used for uh, stirring something up or like a road. But what's happening in there? It's moving, there's a stirring, but sooner or later, what's going to happen to that concrete? It's going to settle, and it's going to harden. The same way for your heart. You're going to see that in yourself and in your pride, and even in your arrogance or in your shame or your guilt, there could be an affectional call that's going out today from the Holy Spirit saying, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, receive Jesus, receive him, and you may reject that. And over time, your heart will become hardened. Whatever it is that the Lord is speaking to you today, my hope as a pastor and really my hope for myself is that I would always be attentive to that, but receive it and then obey it. So what is salvation? I'm going to put some things on the screen today. So if you're a note taker, you can, you can take this down. We're going, to, we're going to look at what we define as salvation as Baptists. Okay? Salvation involves the redemption of the whole man and is offered freely to all who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who by his own blood obtained eternal redemption for the believer. In its broadest sense, salvation includes regeneration, justification, sanctification, and glorification. There is no salvation apart from the personal faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. And so if you're looking at that on the screens, that is coming from our Baptist faith and message. And so a lot of big words in there. We're going to unpack a few of those, and I promise you, hopefully by the end of this, we have a good understanding of some of these big words. And it's kind of like refrigerator. It's a big word, but we all understand what the refrigerator is and how to access it. Amen? We're Baptists. We, we know all about the refrigerator. We hope that this is going to be something that helps you understand what salvation is and move you into maybe identifying a few things of where you're at in your own personal life as well. So let's look at this statement that's offered through our Baptist Faith and Message. The first sentence says this, salvation involves the redemption. Redemption. What is this word redemption? Well, here it is. Here's, here's an easy way to picture it. You are God's. God created you. He owns you. He created you for a purpose, for his purposes. And here's the problem. We chose our will over his. We chose sin over following him. And so redemption is this. After you sell yourself into sin and sold yourself away from God, God says, I want to buy you back. That's what redemption is. Salvation is the only means by which God can buy you back. And he redeems you by purchasing you with something special. And we'll get to that in a second. The, the second part of this statement says, he redeems you the whole man or the whole purpose. And so when he redeems you, it's not just a part of you. And some people out there will preach this. This is, this is not true. When Jesus redeems you, when God buys you back, he buys back your heart, your mind, your soul, everything a part of you. And this is a beautiful thing because it's not something that we have to compartmentalize our lives away for something that is religious or spiritual. He gets all of you. And here's the good news. You want him to have all of you. You need him to have all of you. And so when you think about your own life and we think about being bought back, everything is redeemed. 
And so salvation involves the redemption of the whole man, and it's offered freely to all who accept Jesus Christ. And here's where we're going to get into who Jesus is. When you have a right view of who Jesus is, you can understand what he has done and what he offers you, and how only he can offer you this. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and following says, He, this being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. That's a big G there. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Y'all can see, like, this is a big statement, right? Jesus is firstborn. He's existed all before time had began. He creates all things. He has authority. Verse 17, and he, Jesus, this is Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things are held together. And he is the head of the body, the church, He, Jesus, is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And so here's where we stop and we say, salvation involves the redemption of the whole man is offered freely to all those who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The reason we say that is only Jesus can offer salvation because only Jesus is God. That means there's other things out there that can offer you temporary salvation won't measure up. It's unworthy because they're not God. Only Jesus can obtain salvation for you and then offer it to you as a gift. Like nobody else can own salvation. Nobody else can hold salvation. Nobody else can give salvation. Only the one that is preeminent. Only the one that is God. Only the one that is the firstborn. Only the one that is creating all things and holds all things together. That person alone can give salvation, nothing else. And so we believe that redemption comes to the whole man and is offered freely, which is a great word, right? Because some of you are like, how do I get salvation? What do I have to do? What mission trip do I have to go on? What charity do you have to give to? That's not what's being offered here. This is a free gift by the only one that can give the gift, that is Jesus. And it's offered freely to all who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This Lord word is not something that we're familiar with. We live in a democracy. We live in a social media area where everybody has an opinion. And their opinion counts. And it matters. We celebrate that. Or we get our feelings hurt about that. When we think about someone who is Lord and King, they get to choose and cause whatever they want. They get to call the shots. And so if you're going to get salvation, then Jesus is the one that has it. He offers it to you, but guess what? He's Lord. And good news, you want him to be Lord. You want him to be your king because he's good. Now we don't understand that at all. We live in the area of politics where everything's kind of just a little corrupted. Maybe you're at work and you don't like your boss, and you can understand like bad leadership or bad lordship. Jesus is good. In fact, he loves you enough that he would even step into your life in the middle of sin and offer you a gift. That's good, right? And so when we think about following Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we got to remember that if he's Lord, we're going to obey him because he is good, 
and we can obey him because he has our best interests. And sometimes that means that's contrary to what you need or want to do because we have our own opinions. And our opinions, they fall short of the glory of God. And so this is a really good statement that he is Lord and Savior. Notice the next sentence. It says, who by his own blood obtained eternal redemption for the believer. Colossians goes on and it says this in verse 19. It says this, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood on the cross. So let's stop about this for a second. Let's just look at this. For in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So Jesus, fully man, also fully God. He's going to offer his life, and here's what he's going to do. He's going to offer his blood. Because sin has to have a payment, and that payment is death. And so how is Jesus going to pay for your sin? It's going to be by his blood. His blood. And when we think about this, we need to be wrecked by that. Parents in the room, like, stop for a little bit and think about the implications of this. Now, I have two kids. They're not perfect. And I love them, and I'm not going to give them up. Your son is perfect, innocent, pure. And what's going to happen? He's going to offer up his life freely to those who would receive it. And his blood is going to be the payment that reconciles, that redeems the believer. And we stop and we think, yes, this is praiseworthy. So what happens in salvation? This is the area that we'll spend a little more time on. There's, there's four things I want you to write down. Four things happen in salvation. The first thing is regeneration. Regeneration. This is new life, to be born again. You probably have heard this before. Y'all remember the conversation that Nicodemus and Jesus has. And he's, he's a Pharisee. He knows the word of God and he's been studying it. And Jesus says, you need to be born again. And he's like, what does this mean? This is regeneration. This is salvation that, that happens on God's side. That means that God is doing the work, not you. That's key to remember. God is the one that's going to give you a new heart, that's going to regenerate you for his purposes. The question is, how? Right? Don't you want to know that? Like, like, how does this work? Well, regeneration or the new birth is a work of God's grace whereby believers become new creatures in Christ Jesus. It's a change of heart wrought or formed by the Holy Spirit through conviction of sin to which the sinner responds in repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's, let's stop there and let's think about this. If we're going to be regenerated, there's something that has to happen. Conversion. Repentance. There has to be a turning away of your sinful nature and your flesh and resistance to the enemy and look to Jesus and say, I'm stepping towards you for salvation. And Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, begins a work in you that gives you new life. You're a new creature. And this is, this is what we see in Ezekiel chapter 36, 
verses 26. It says, and I will, this is God, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Who's calling the shots there? That's God, right? God's going to remove your heart of stone and put in there a heart of flesh. And then he's going to give you through the Holy Spirit means to which you can carry out the rules and the commands that Jesus has given us through the New Testament. And so if you're looking at the, your faith life and you're like, man, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I, I can't do this. You're on track. You can't. You need help. You need the Holy Spirit. And through this regeneration, this is where we see this. Repentance and faith are inseparable experiences of grace as well. Repentance is a genuine turning from sin toward God. And faith is the acceptance of Jesus Christ and commitment of the entire personality to him as Lord and Savior. So when we think about a person experiencing salvation, there's two things that are happening there. We have to have repentance, but we also have to have faith. Remember, you can't work your way to salvation. There's nothing you can do to get salvation. It is an inward change where you say, my sin has corrupted me, but God's grace is accepting me. I'm turning away from sin, and I'm repenting of that, and I'm moving in faith towards Jesus because he's the only one that can offer salvation. I'm putting away my past. I'm putting away the shame. I'm putting away the guilt, and I'm receiving a new identity in Christ which he has, he has like bought for me, and he's redeemed me. And now I begin a new life that's regenerating through the Holy Spirit. First John says this in, in chapter 1. It says, this is the message that we've heard and heard from him, and we proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we're in the, in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Two things happening there. Those who have receive Jesus and they turn towards the light and they have a new identity and those that are content to be in pride and arrogance and their own sin and say, we're good. What are they doing? They're making God out to be a liar and they're rejecting the truth. Now in a room this big, I know that we have many in here that would, that would fall into both of these categories. You're either rejecting the truth and maybe you're doing that with good intentions. Like, you know, you're, you're all right, you're fine. Like, you, you hadn't killed anybody, right? You're not doing anything wrong with your taxes. You're living a moralish life. You know, you, you sin every now and then, but they're not big sins. Here's the truth of what John is telling us in Scripture, is that the, the, uh, the righteousness and the purity of God cannot accept any sin, and he alone is light. And if you're apart from that, you're living in this darkness, and you may come out to be a, a liar if you do not receive it. But those who do receive it, receive the Holy Spirit, and begin to walk in a new life 
with Jesus. Regeneration. The second thing is justification. Justification. This is the forgiveness of sins and acknowledgement that God's righteousness demands payment. Okay, this is twofold. Forgiveness of sins and acknowledgement that God demands payment for um, our sins as well. So question, how do you plan on paying for your sins? What would be your answer today? If you were to die today and you were to stand before God and he's kind of like, a clerk up there, and he says, hey, how do you plan on paying for your sins? What would your answers be? It's a great indicator of where you're at spiritually. If you got a rap sheet and you're kind of just walking through some good things about your life or some good things that you did, and maybe you helped out somebody on the corner or something, and this is what you're talking about, and, and God just looks at you and says, is that it? Then guess what? You would fall short. But if you say, my work is done through the perfection of Jesus on the cross, that's a different story. And so answering that question is going to be helpful for us today because through salvation, this payment is covered by Jesus. So you're justified by Jesus. And we've heard this statement before, just as if you had never sinned. But also, here's what's really cool. You also step into the passive obedience of Jesus. What does that mean? Well, Jesus never did anything wrong, but he also did everything right. So you step into that as well. And so Jesus gets into, uh, um, uh, gives you this payment to the point of where you stand before the Lord, not only never sin, but always have done right. That's a beautiful thing. And so we define justification this way. It's God's gracious and full acquittal upon principles of his righteousness of all sinners who repent and believe in Christ. Justification brings a believer unto relationship of peace and favor with God. So grace is a gift that we do not deserve that we receive from him. That acquittal is a judgment that of a person is not guilty of a crime of which the person has been charged. And here's the last thing. His righteousness is something that we can never attain. And so when we think about justification, it is the gracious and full acquittal of your sin. Think about that. Full acquittal. Never done anything wrong. Always did everything right. How does that happen? You got to receive all of Jesus' righteousness. That's beautiful. The next thing is sanctification. Sanctification. God possesses us as his own, and he set us apart from the world. Sanctification is the growing in your Christ-likeness. It's understanding that you weren't simply saved from something. It's stepping into God has saved you for something. This is where the church gets exciting. And so if you're in here today and you're reading this and you're listening to this, this is where I want you to, to tune in. And if you're a believer, man, really get active because this is this is where the church is fun. First, first John chapter 3 says this. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are children of God and who are the children of the devil. Okay, so strong language. What is John talking about? 
when you become regenerate in your faith, the Holy Spirit starts to change you and make you new. And as that happens, you get to become more like Christ every single day. As long as you allow the Holy Spirit to continue to work in you, you're going to be continue to look more and more like Christ. Why is that exciting? Because the old you is passing away and the purposes for which God has called you are now in action and you get to see heaven literally fall down on earth. Jesus himself prays this. Like your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven, right? And so when you align in your sanctification process, you're literally doing what Jesus has done here on earth and then also what he's encouraging his church to do right now. And so it's not being saved from something, it's being saved for something. That's why when you share your faith with a non-believer and you tell them about the good news and how they can be saved from their sin, what does it do in your life? Man, it just, it just gets in you and the Spirit of God becomes alive in your heart and you're like, what is this? It's joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And so the church becomes alive and it begins to move because what Jesus wanted is what you now want. You look at the world around you, begin to not shame it or say, man, there's something wrong with it. Or you look at all the politics or the, the school boards and the things that are going on and you're just like, oh, I'm so upset. You engage it through the Holy Spirit and you're a change agent within it because you're, you're presenting the gospel and the salvation and the rescue from that. That's why I said it's the most dangerous sermon that you can hear. Because what God's going to call you to may be a little bit difficult. Like, why do we go on mission trips? It's not because it's easy. It's because the world around us is lost and we want to engage it. And sometimes it takes time. It takes energy. It takes conflict. It takes money. It takes resources. It takes us getting out of the pew and going there. And it, it's hard. But why do we do it? I want to be more like Christ. Who was seated on the throne and got off of it. And Philippians talks about him humbling himself and coming down to an earth that's corrupted. It's difficult. And John even says, yet to his own people didn't even receive him. In fact, they, they crucified him. So this is hard, this is difficult, but when we're more like Christ, why do we do this? Well, Jesus did it because he loves you. Jesus did it because he wanted to offer you hope. So why do we receive sanctification? It's because when we do this, we're more like Christ, and the world around us begins to change. This is beautiful. And, and one of the things that, that I want to just kind of land here on, because I know this is difficult, some of you might even be deceived in your own salvation because you're listening to this, and you're like, man, that doesn't align. And, and Galatians chapter 5 is a great indicator. Galatians chapter 5 says this, it says, now the works of the flesh are evident. And these are some strong words, so just handle it as necessary. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Paul says, I warn you as these, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus 
have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. As we look at that and we think about the world around us, we know that the world around us, they just embrace the flesh side and it's celebrated. But we as believers, we engage that not with us like just kind of joining arms together and rushing through with, with hatred or with, with strong statements. What do we do? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there's no law. And so as Jesus changes us, we embrace the conflicts and the circumstances and we move in his power. Sanctification is the experience beginning in regeneration by which the believer is set apart to God's purposes and is enabled to progress toward moral and spiritual maturity through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Growth and grace should continue throughout the regenerate person's life, meaning this is a process. It's not a project. You can't just do one Bible study and the next day be like Christ. It's a process. Every day we wake up and the Bible says we're a living sacrifice. We get up on the altar and we sacrifice our flesh in order that we might receive the Holy Spirit's guidance for the day. And that's hard. It's difficult. But in this process, we lead ourselves to the final thing. Number four, glorification. This is our future destiny as believers. God will make all things new. Glorification is the culmination of salvation and it is the final blessed and abiding state of the redeemed. Listen to this. This is so encouraging. Revelation chapter one says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there, there was no more sea. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He, is, he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he is seated at the throne. And he, here's what Jesus says. Behold, I am making all things new. For the believer in salvation that's being regenerated, that's working through sanctification, that's being restored every day, here's the joy that you look forward to that even at the point of death, Jesus will raise you to the heavenlies and for eternity you won't be separated from him forever, but you will have union with him forever. And notice, there's no more pain, there's no more Heartache, there's no more distrust, there's no more comment sections on Facebook, it's all gone. And what's in here? A new kingdom, a new earth, where everybody understands what it's like to be in true salvation. The final statement of the Baptist faith, the message is the one that gives it the most controversy. And here's how we'll end today. The final statement says this, there is no salvation apart from a personal faith in Christ Jesus as Lord. It's, it's what we sang about this morning. John says it this way, 
Jesus says it this way out of the book of John. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's it. And it's controversial because we always want to say in everything. We always want to debate this. It's controversial because what about other people's religions? What about people in Islam? What about the Hindu? What about the Buddhist? Jesus says, I am the way. Because I'm the only one that can carry salvation. I'm the only one that can obtain salvation. I'm the only one who can offer salvation. And as we stop and we think about this, we even think about it in the context of Scripture that we read earlier in Ephesians 2, what it shows us is that God is the righteous creator. John 14, 6 says this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus is God. And a response to who Jesus is means everything. The man is the sinner. Think about this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked. The prince and the power of the air, that's the enemy, is at work in your heart. And you do what you want to do, the way you want to do it, the way you feel, and it ultimately leads you to despair, to shame, to guilt, to pride, to arrogance. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he would give his son. And our response has to be in two ways, faith and repentance. For it's by grace you have been saved. Not by your works, grace. It's by faith that you're turning and you're stepping towards God because he alone can give you salvation. And here's how I want to end today. I simply want to ask you some questions. It was at a service just like this where God began to affectionately call me. And I will be honest with you, service after service until I was a senior in high school, I rejected the call that Jesus had. And I said I was all right. And service after service, I would stand up in my moral identity of saying, I'm a good kid. I come from a good family. I've been on mission trips. I've gone to church camps. I'm not hanging with that crowd in high school. And week after week, I would hear the gospel presented to me. And you know what I would do? I would just harden my heart a little bit. Because more and more and more, I would identify myself as a person of morality and not a person of trespasses and sin. Because when I measured up to the Lord and when I measured up to Jesus and his righteousness, it fell short. So my question to you is where is your status before the Lord today? It's a simple question, and how would you answer the question of how you would pay for your sin? 
And I'm not talking about the knowledge of it. I'm talking about stepping into a genuine faith, a genuine repentance. Have you done that in your life? And if you have it right now, here's what's happening in your mind and in your heart. The Holy Spirit is convicting you of that. He's moving in your heart. He's talking to you. And he's doing one thing only. He's taking you to Jesus. What's the other side of that? Your flesh and your pride or the enemy is shaming you and guilting you back to what you've done and who you are in sin. So here's what I want to do. If you'll just bow your heads. I'm going to give you some you time. Imagine there's an invisible circle that you're just going to draw around yourself today. Your eyes closed, your head's bowed. I mean, it's just you and God. When God's word goes out, it doesn't return void. And so right now, the spirit of God is probably talking you to do something, to reply in obedience in some way. And so for the person that is not in Christ, the person that needs salvation, here's what you need to realize. You can turn away from your sin right now and step in faith. You don't need me. You don't need your parent, you don't need anybody else. That is a personal decision that you make by receiving the Holy Spirit and saying, man, I need Jesus. For the other people in here that are believers, that are part of this church, here's the response that the Holy Spirit is drawing you to. What do you do with this message? On a day-to-day -day basis, like how do you handle this? Like churches one or two times a week, what is your response to take this message of rescue and of salvation and redemption to the world around you? Are you responding like Christ with compassion in your workplace, at your school, around the dinner table? Are you discipling your family in the spirit of God? And if that is something that the Lord is correcting you in, you, you respond in obedience, and there's also a response of who needs to hear this in your workplace or who needs to experience salvation and what needs to be said. And if that's you, we respond. 